Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. I'm Benesh Maid and on this week's Archive Edition, our focus turns once again to the cinema as we re-listen to an honest and engaging conversation with director Lynn Ramsey. For over two decades, director Lynn Ramsey has blazed a path in her films, from her debut, 1999's Rat Catcher, to the subject of this interview, 2017's Dark and Intense, You Were Never Really Here. You know, there's no money, there's not the time running out, there's always like this kind of crazy energy and I think sometimes that just brings out the best ideas for me. I don't think I've ever not walked into a film slightly terrified and I think you should be slightly terrified. Lynn Ramsey has worked and brought us outstanding performances from the likes of Tilda Swinton in We Need to Talk About Kevin, Samantha Morton in More Than Colour and the subject of this podcast, Joaquin Phoenix and his intense hitman in You Were Never Really Here. What's the lead? Senator Albert Vato. His daughter's missing. Her name is Nina. Don't worry, I'll get her. We started by talking about Joaquin's character of Joe and the novella that she drew upon for the film. On a slightly crackly phone line from LA, I spoke to the director. We spend our time in your films connecting on a very intimate level with one or two characters. So when talking about the new film, um, what connected you to the character of Joe? Why could you bring him from the book to the screen? He's a kind of broken man in a way, you know, like he's like the walking dead. And I think the fact that he lived with his mum and he wasn't like this like cliche of that trope, you know, like he's suffering post-traumatic stress. And he just totally feels the mission in a way. <laughs> like there's no blacks, there's no whites. It's like a rabbit hole. So first and foremost, there's things in the book that I liked, but then I just sort of ran with it and kind of made it my own because it's quite a short novella. And Joaquin came about six or seven weeks before, so we were continuing to sort of developing that character. I mean, maybe I thought I was making an action movie, but I was actually making a character study, you know? Like, I always kind of gravitate towards the character. And, and he was just a fascinating guy with a quite a you know, crazy past. And, and it's a kind of Lazarus film as well. I think it was about this guy coming back to life in some way, rather than it being, you know, super dark, the way some people interpret it. I don't know how much you've thought about this. You've adapted, I think, three books so far. What attracts you to kind of taking somebody else's words and ideas and then translating them? I mean, is it about freedom within what is written? Um, I don't think I've ever done a straight adaptation. They're always kind of jumping off points. I mean, to me, it's always just about good material, you know? Like, for instance, we need to talk about Kevin. I don't think this subject's been explored, you know? And it was a really interesting one. Well, if you don't love your kids and... Then here, it's about a guy that's, that's kind of fallen apart, it seems, but it had a real propulsive kind of energy about it as well. I mean, you, you could sit and read the book and, like, 
at how long this film is in 90 minutes. It was like a real page turner. So I wanted to keep that energy, you know. But I, I don't think I've ever done a straight adaptation. Even Morgan Tower was the kind of first-person narrative, and it's not at all in the film. But, I mean, that's just about ideas. I mean, right now I'm writing an original thing. You know, it's just a different process, you know. Um, I don't have a set kind of thing where I'm, you know, I'm definitely looking for a book adaptation. It's more about ideas, really, you know. You have kids, Joe? Nina. Her name is Nina. I've heard of these places. <sighs> Underage girls. Senator, if she's there, I'll get her. Cleary said you were brutal. I can be. When you work with actors who come with so much presence and command of the screen, such as Joaquin, is it about the conversations between the two of you? Well, we really spoke quite early on. I think he was really interested in working with me. I mean, before I started writing the script, I, I, mean, you know, I really thought it was him. I was like, before I even did scene one, he was on my screensaver. It was like, I think this guy is Joe. And because I, I find him really, you know, he's always, he always brings a up. As well as having this amazing presence, that kind of complexity to the character. He didn't have a lot of time to shoot this film, it was like 29 days, so it was a lot of first takes, you know. But every take he did was different. Sometimes it was funny or terrifying, and we, we, we wanted to be really, um, but you never knew what to expect. And that makes Joe kind of more terrifying, just that never know what's really going to happen next. That was something I think we were quite aware of, like, um, just to push ourselves every day. A lot of actors don't show up that early, so just during that prep process, it was amazing, you know what I mean? Because, you know, it was like having a DT or, you know, someone with, you know, acting department, whacking Phoenix. You know, he was building up and becoming this kind of beast, you know, there was a lot of the way he was walking, and it was just like to have that during that crazy time of prep was amazing. It was a quite an organic process making that character, and uh, you know, like in, I remember being in, you know, in prep and it was pitch black and hearing all these fireworks. And it sounded like the world was coming to an end, and I, I recorded it on my phone and you know, I gave it to him, and I was like, "This is what you hear every day." I was like, "Your head's full of broken glass." It, it just was a brilliant team, you know. It was just like he just was like a fellow filmmaker, really, and we just I think picked apart anything in the script that felt too familiar or, or obvious or, you know or, and it was a super exhilarating way for me to work but also a really hot intense summer you know what I mean but I think the kind of craziness of it all went into the movie a bit you know That's really interesting you know I wanted to ask the question in regards to your films how you have that sense of emotion and sense of that intensity but it, it sounds like a lot of it is you I don't know taking the moments and, and running with it is, is that fair? Yeah, yeah I would especially after I've had to do that stuff that's almost for instance Kevin I think it was a longer skit and then there was a financial crash and I had to reimagine that like for a lot less money so it was almost like edited on paper you know what I mean it was like this scene to go to this scene to this scene and it was super complex um, but I was like I'm going to tell to make it I think I've learned a lot about editing you know um, so I, I guess like the skits are quite precise but there's room for me always. I think you've got to be really aware in the moment if something better is happening. That's just something I've learned as a filmmaker. Or you be aware of the present tense, you know, and, and in filmmaking, you've kind of got a gun to your head. You're like, you know, it's like, um, you know, there's no money, there's no the time's running out. It's always like this kind of crazy energy. And I think sometimes that just brings out the best ideas for me. You know, it's just like... Um, it's almost instinctive. It's like you, you've got to go what, you, what feels right, you know? Like, and so 
I don't know, I find in a, in a film set, I, I know when I feel sure of my choices, you know, and I know when I don't feel sure, and I know there's, there's something wrong if I don't feel sure. React to locations, like, you know, like you can write the, the greatest scene, whatever, and then you go to the location and it tells you something else, and it's really claustrophobic, or it's got a different kind of vibe and forms the scenes. So I think it's just always been, you know, like aware, and it's through the prep and the shoot, you know what I mean, the, um, of what's going on around you. And it's hard, sometimes that's hard to do when you're making a film. To me, it's that's really exciting, you know. Often a location will just change something. But but generally, I, you know, I try and, like, you know, right from that catcher on, I think, I just get from that catcher that was all set in the summer, the hottest summer in Glasgow, the whole time it rained, we didn't have weather covered. <laughs> it was like, it just was the film was going to be this kind of, like, really subdued tone film. But it wasn't written like that. And I think you just have to, the film just kind of, the kind of craziness of it all went into the movie a bit, you know. Would you consider this your most violent film that you've made? How do you judge the violence in this film? I mean, obviously talking about the hammer, that it's quite hard to watch at times. But I think the last film was about violence as well, do you know what I mean? Uh, you know, it's like it's different forms, you know. Like, um, it's probably more the audience could probably ask that, answer that question better than me, but there's a lot of scene violence. I was never kind of going to approached it in a way that was like super cool you know it's not really a very cool guy it was never that kind of approaching it from the glamorization point even though people love that thrill and you know i love think you know balletic scenes as much as the the next but we didn't really even have the time for big those kind of sequences so it was always thinking about the psychology of the character in order to tell you the mise-en-scene you know like it was it was always like, he's like a machine. like So like, the surveillance camera idea popped into my head because I'd half a day to shoot it. I knew I would never have to be able to do a big sequence like that. And so that would brought a lot of kind of light bulb moments. And I did a test and I was like, wow, this is actually you know an interesting way to think about it is to think of his whole mechanical, then, it's, then it becomes much more personal. And then it's almost post-rage. But I think it's just that the violence ha- is handled in a different viewpoint, you know? I think that it scares people because it's, there's a lot of unknown in it, you know. And the fact that we didn't have that much prep, prep time, actually there was a lot of prep done while I was writing, you know, so Tom was really up to speed with where I was going with it and so was Johnny and, and Paul. So again, sort of reaction to the city and how I would deal with the, the sounds, you know, and what's going on in his head. And yeah, I start with things really at script stage. I write sound in it in my script. I write, I write that. And I wanted that the script, again, was had emotion to it that was, you know, that was tight. And I felt it was that kind of film. Like, and I did, not every film's like that. Some films really, they, they need that space. But I felt this is fast and furious kind of thing. You know? Maybe I just felt pissed off. I don't know. <laughs> I suppose... There's the idea of whether he is a hero or a good man. Maybe the relationship with his mother is the thing that anchors him. Well, that was certainly something I, I explored much more than, than it ever was in the novella. It was just touched upon and after it, I felt. To me, it was like a sort of bizarre, just kind of Harold and Maud relationship, you know, like it was just like, I felt that he loves it, you know, that there's this real tenderness, but she's elderly and he has to look after it. And, it, and that's frustrating, so... I think in the book it's much more kind of, I'd say like, you know, mother and son relationship. That was certainly something we wanted to avoid, but...
didn't hope he I could go on all day. Yes, you could. <laughs> You faced some big challenges in your uh, filmmaking career, um, a lot of financial pressures and setbacks. Do you think you found your voice with this film? It, it sounds like it, or, or re-found your voice. I'm finding that like, the experience or something is just learning a lot of things, you know. I think you just learn so much. I still feel like a student. I don't feel like you learn something new every film you make, you know. And you should, I don't think I've ever not walked into a film slightly terrified, and I think you should be slightly terrified. <laughs> it almost feels life and death when you're making a film, which is ridiculous. But there's a sense of like, you know, really making a film, you know, with some sort of precision as well and some kind of like voice that isn't drowned out too many cooks, you know. Screenings during edits are quite important, you know what I mean? Even if it's like, you know, you go through bumpy rides with a big cut, like, first cuts are always like, the director always gets really depressed. You could probably ask most directors will say that, you know. It's like you get a rough cut and then you try to find this thing. But certainly, I mean, I think Jim Nelson, the producer, and one of the producers who was in London while we were cutting, and Joe Beanie, you know, and the editor, and I, the, the edit was as crazy as shit. Normally it was a bit calmer, but it was like, as fast. It felt fast, and then we were really set up. The can thing came up, you know, the film wasn't ready. To me, it's like, yeah, making films is a collaboration, um, but you still have to this, you know, at the end of the day, the bucks that I sold to me, so it's like, I think that works. But um, I will certainly, you know, involve people that I trust, you know, to, 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 to look at the cuts and, you know, and make sure I feel like I'm going in the right direction. So it's a pretty collaborative process for me. Does it surprise you when someone comes up to you and says how important the films you've made have been to them or, you know, new directors? Uh, that must be, you know, flattering and inspiring. It's funny because I think, it, you know, there's certainly when you're making films, it's, it's, a, it's tough. And a, you can sometimes feel like, oh, my God, this is so hard. And, you know, I remember I was at Sundance this year um, and there was a lot of young filmmakers with their first uh, you know, short films or features, and they were like, oh, your films really inspired me to make films. And I was like, you know, that's a good thing, you know? And it was quite moving, that. It was like, wow, there's a lot of young women as well. And you were like, oh, this, that's cool, you know? That's a, that's a good thing. And some, sometimes you're in your little dark hole, thinking, oh, God, how am I going to make this work, you know? And that can be, like, something quite surprising and flattering, but also kind of, you know, it's good this makes a difference, you know? I wondered what your thoughts were on the fact you've had your name emblazoned on one of the uh, Girls on Tops uh, uh, t-shirts. Oh, well, I think that's I think that's hilarious. I tried to give them. I got a few. Tried to give them to my family, and they're probably like, "No way, am I wearing that?" You know. <laughs> you know. I think it's funny. Personally, I like the Agnes Barter and the Isabel Hooper one. A friend of mine just stole the Isabel Hooper one, so you get a new one. Have you won your one? <laughs> would, you, would you do that? I think that's a bit cheesy, but if I run out of clean clothes, I probably would, yeah. <laughs> Am I allowed to ask where you're going next? Are you, you busy in a new project? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm writing right now, like something original, but I don't really want to speak about what exactly it is yet, because um, I'm still finding that out myself, but I'm excited. I've, I've nearly finished. Yeah, two weeks to go. <laughs> So I've had a lot of time, you know, six months of travelling and, you know, you're sitting on planes and you're thinking, you know, like you're talking about something you've already done and you're trying to think about the next thing. So it can be a really weird kind of in-between time, you know. So I think 
as soon as I got all, I mean, literally I started crying in Italy, which was the, 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 the last time I did press. And it was just really refreshing to just like start something anew rather than talk about something that exists, you know, that's in the world now. It's always a weird time, like it's a, it's a, you finish a film, you're like, ah, you know, <laughs> that was that, you know, it's like being born and, you know, and it's just really good to get the process like from the beginning again, you know, although daunting. So yeah, I'm like, I just, I just went, you know, straight into the next thing, you know, really, you know, it's a fantastic job, you know what I mean, as well, it's like, it's rough sometimes, but anything good is, you know, it's just hard and it's a lot of money to make films, so it can be a lot of obstacles, but I've worked with some really great people and I think that's the key is just working with great people, you know. You know, Derek Jarman came to film school when I was at film school and he's like, I just worked with my friends, life's too short, you know, pretty inspiring guy and, and then not one person said him. <laughs> I think it was just before he died, you know what I mean? But I always remember Derek Jarman saying that, you know. My name's Joe. You got him. What's going on? The cops are involved. A completely inspirational conversation. My thanks to Lynn Ramsey. You were never really here and her compelling back catalogue is there to be viewed via most streaming sites. I'm Ben Eshmade. Thanks for listening to this archive edition of Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. It's here to inspire more people to discover and love the arts with weekly episodes of archive finds such as this and theme series. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on Acast, Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review to help us get the word out. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.